Uh, we're in a series, now this is a short series because we kind of combined it with Easter, and it's called The Bible for Grown-Ups. We're talking about the story of the Bible. How did we get uh, the Bible that we have? And I don't know how you got your Bible when you were younger. I got my Bible uh, maybe a little bit differently, but um, what we wanted to talk about in this series was that, you know, oftentimes the stories in the Bible are what we tend to focus on. But just from a foundation of our faith standpoint, we really do believe that the story of the Bible, of how did we get the Bible, is critically important to the foundation of our faith. Our theme scripture, if you will, for uh, these weeks comes from 2 Timothy, where Paul says, all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. I love this phrase, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's what he does. He uses, he uses the Bible. It's a tool. Right? It's his word for us in our lives. And sometimes, we just, I'm just talking about today's culture, um, we have gotten things a little mixed up, especially out of order when it comes to our foundation. Now, if you were a kid and you were raised in church and or you're, you're raising your kids in church, you probably know this song or this statement that we've said before, that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? You can hear the cadence of the song even as we, uh, as we say that. And here's the problem. Is that, that is all true. That is 1,000% true. But it has caused some issues when we put emphasis on the Bible in the wrong way in terms of the foundation of our faith. Now, one of the things you need to understand is that back during the Reformation, okay, we talk about that in terms of church history, the Reformation, um, there was such hypocrisy and, and just uh, uh, division going on with the Catholic Church and, 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 and the, the abuse of power from the church and from the Pope and from the governing authorities, emperors and kings and so forth, like Christianity had become like a, like a government thing to like leverage and lean on and do. And, and so much of that had happened over the years that finally with the Reformation, uh, they went back to, if you will, they went back to or, or reinstated sort of this sola scriptura, okay? The sola scriptura, which was meaning that the Bible alone, the holy word of God alone is the authority for life. And the argument was, it's not the Pope, it's not the church. It's not the, it's not the government leaning into this Christ, these Christian things. That the Bible brings about the authority because it's the word of God. And trust me, this was a very needed thing that needed to happen. But in time, over time, we've sort of gotten some of the events and some of the things out, you know, in terms of priority out of order when it comes to our faith. Why? Because the story of the Bible reminds us that Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible. It doesn't exist because of the Bible. No more than you exist because of your birth certificate, right? And we gave these few examples. The Constitution didn't found our nation. That's not the order it went in. The company, the company handbook didn't start your company. We know that. And the Bible didn't launch Christianity. And so for Easter and last week, just to give a quick recap, we talked, and go to, let's go to the timeline. We talked about all these things in the first, second, third, and fourth century. The things that happened to bring us the scriptures, to bring us what we call the Holy Bible, 
now. We talked a lot about, and I'm not going to recap everything, but we talked about the crucifixion and resurrection and the birth of the church. And when these manuscripts were written, and the things that Mark said, and Paul said, and James said, and, and, Paul, and Peter said, and the things that, 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 that people held on to these documents, and they were so important, and so not because they were the Bible. That wasn't even, hadn't even happened yet. But because of who wrote them, and because of who they were writing about, which was Jesus, and when they wrote them, that was critically important before the the, the temple was destroyed, because we have no record of that in in our manuscripts. And then talking about the suffering again last week, before we even get to Constantine, and we get to some of the changes that needed to happen to bring us the Bible as we know it today. Just don't forget the order of things, right? The event which is the resurrection, not Jesus' life. We do not have the Bible because Jesus lived a good life. We do not have the Bible because Jesus lived a good life and taught good things and died. The event is the resurrection where Jesus proved to be everything that he claimed to be, which is the reason we have everything written, which is the reason we have the Bible. It was the event that launched the movement, the ecclesia, as Jesus would call it, the movement and gathering of, of his people that gave us this gift, gave us the Bible. And again, we ended last week, you know, kind of a play on words, but for over 300 years, Christians believed that, that Jesus loved them long before the Bible told them so. Long before the Bible told them so, meaning that, that there was at one time a faith that had it right, that had it in kind of the right order. And they understood the purpose of Scripture. They understood the purpose of why we were given God's Word as this gift. But it wasn't the thing we tried to defend. It wasn't the thing we tried to try, try to make the foundation of our faith. It was the fact that, no, Jesus is the foundation of our faith. He's, he's the one who's changing lives. And then the, and the movement that we are part of is the church of God, the family of God is what brought us the Bible. And yes, it fuels us, and yes, it inspires us, and yes, it tells us and speaks words of life into it because it's a living, active, breathing Word of God. But we need to remember those things in order to really continue to have the faith that He wants us to have. Now, last week, I I focused primarily on the New Testament and the the way in which we, we combined all those letters and documents and accounts of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and how those were all kind of put together eventually. But I, did, I told you this week we would talk about what, why in the world would they take the Jewish scriptures, okay, the, what we would call the Old Testament. But this is the Jewish Bible. Why would they take the Jewish scriptures and combine them together to make the Bible? And I want you to understand there is a big difference between Jewish scriptures and the Jewish religion. The first, second, and third century Christians, especially the ones that were Jewish or grew up Jewish or understood the Jewish, they wanted nothing to do with the Jewish religion. Okay? They, they understood the flaws in it. They understood what, I mean, everything Jesus talked about kind of, kind of broke apart and, and opened up what was the failure of the law and why Jesus had to come. So they didn't really want to go back to the Jewish religion. And those outside of the Jewish religion there was no interest in the Jewish religion for them. Like, like they were, you know, Jew, the Jews were kind of weird. They were, they were really inclusive, exclusive, like in terms of they, it was just them. They didn't want to hang out with other people. They didn't even go to Gentiles' homes. Like, it was not something that was appeasing and appetizing for them to want to be a part of and want to have more of. But the 
first, second, and third century Christians continued with their, with their study of Jesus, this Jewish carpenter, this Jewish man, this Jewish rabbi of the Jewish scriptures, they continued to be more enamored with the Jewish scripture, with what we would call the Old Testament. And I want to talk today about a few reasons why they just kind of brought this together. One verse that I love is Paul. I'll start it and end it with Paul talking about the importance of the Old Testament and the Jewish scripture. Here's Paul to the Romans. He says, listen, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. Paul was a Pharisee. And he knew that he knew the Torah and he knew he knew the Old Testament in a way that you and I will never understand it. He studied that as his scriptures. And even as a follower of Christ, even as a part of the, the way, even as a part of launching the new church, he valued the Jewish scriptures and understood that the Jews were entrusted, the people of God were entrusted with the very words of God. I want to give you three, I'll just give them to you as quick as I can. I'm going to promise you I'm going to spend more time on the first one than I will the last two. But three reasons why the Jewish scriptures, why would the New Testament church bring such emphasis and eventually pull together as their own the Jewish scriptures into what we call the Bible. The first is that it has an ancient and unique origins. This was, this was part of the conversation, was these ancient and unique origins in terms of how they viewed the Jewish Scripture. Now, the Jewish Scripture was broken up into some categories. The Torah was all by itself. It's what Moses wrote. It was the first five books of the Bible. Um, and so they had, this, this, uh, they had a few things there. They basically referred to it, and you see Jesus referred to it, and Paul as well, as the Law and the Prophets. That's how they referred to all of these scrolls and all of these collections of all of these texts and documents from their origins to the end of the Old Testament. And for them, the biggest struggle at that time, okay, for I'm talking about first, second, and third century Christians, was as they were describing Jesus, as they were describing this new way, most people struggled not to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Most people struggled to, do the, to, to accept something that went against everything that they were raised, not just from a religion standpoint, but just from a cultural standpoint. And that was, okay, this is a very important factor, because of what Jesus taught and what we see in terms of the Law and the Prophets, this idea that there was only one God. That was a big stumbling block, if you will, for everyone, not just Jewish people, because Jewish people understood one God, but they didn't accept Jesus for who Jesus was. But everyone outside of the ancient, you know, the ancient world that was non-Jewish were all polytheistic. Okay, this wasn't like, we don't get this, okay, because in our particular current culture and realm, in terms of the Western United States, it's whether you believe in God or you don't. It's whether you believe in God in terms of who your God is, but usually that's still a monotheistic view. It's, a, it's Allah, it's God, it's Yahweh, it's whoever. Or you don't believe in God. But back in this time... Everyone, all these non-Jewish people in the ancient world, they were all polytheistic, okay? Whether it was, uh, uh, you know, a pantheon of gods in terms of the Romans and the Greeks and the, and the barbarians and, 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 you know, and, all the, and, and the, even the ancient Babylons, like, people had all sorts of gods. 
And they would even sometimes have ancestors. That was part of the barbarians. They, they worshiped their family. They worshiped those who had come before them. And they'd have little family altars. And, and people did not convert from one religion to another the way you know, we, we kind of think about things today. They just sort of added it on. They just sort of added it on. Like, well, here's the old gods, and now here's the new gods. Right? Here, here's my, my pantheon of, of Roman gods. Well, here's also my ancestry gods. And they would just sort of add it on and add it on and add it on. And we talked about this, I think, a little bit last week, that Rome didn't really care how many gods you worshipped. They didn't care. They didn't care if you worshipped your ancestors or worshipped this. And, or, or even, again, they gave the Jews a pass. They didn't care that the Jews worshipped Yahweh or one god. They only cared that you honored Caesar as who Caesar was and that you didn't offend. You didn't do anything that offended the Roman pantheon of gods. And listen, at that time, at this time, Christians were kind of the way we view atheists now. Christians were the ones at that time sort of rejecting all of it, rejecting all the polytheistic you know, influences of culture and religion. And they were the ones who said, no, not only is, or did they, in their words, add a God, not only from their perspective, add a God, but they, they said he's the only one. He's the only one. And we see this in the Genesis, in the origins. That's what it means. We see this in the Genesis story, the origin story. And one of the reasons I believe that you can study that Romans kind of gave the Jewish people a pass when it came to their religion and their religious practices was because the Roman Empire, the Roman people, they sort of had a value for things that were old, ancient. They sort of had this high value on things that were ancient. So if you, if you could show them that your gods were ancient gods, there would be a little bit of a respect there. They may not follow them, but there may be a little bit of respect. And that's what they realized when it came to the Babylonian, the Egyptians, and some of the stories of all these you know, polytheistic stories of creation and origins and all that kind of thing. They recognized that the Jewish people, the Jewish people had this documented, protected, epic history that went back further at that time, than most any other story. So there was a respect there for the Jewish scriptures and for the Jewish people of the genesis, of the origins, because the origins were old and were, and were ancient. But the new Christians, the New Testament Christians, went back to the origins for a different reason. Because the origins spoke in the same language that they saw this Jewish rabbi, this Jewish carpenter, and all the things written about him speaking in the very same language. They started to see the origin story match the Jesus story. And all that centered in the fact that there was one God. Now, careful to note, Genesis, Genesis worldview stands in startling contrast to other ancient creation stories. And I'm going to kind of reference a few of them this morning, but just understand, if you have conversations with people and they're, they struggle because skeptics have kind of said, well, you can't, you know, they, they, they look at something in Genesis and that's all figurative and that's just, you know, a, a story and that's a poem and that's not real. We're not going to get into that conversation today. I just promise you, we have a, we have a series this summer dedicated 1,000% to just the Old Testament and the things that we don't get about the Old Testament. If you think the Old Testament is just a big book of death, Okay, we have a series dedicated just for you coming up this summer. So I can't talk about all of those things today. I just want you to see the New Testament Christians, the first, second, third century Christians, 
we're looking at the origin story and finding these things about Jesus, what Jesus would say, and pulling out the fact that this was so incredibly different than any other creation story, any other origin story. Many people will think that the, the, the Hebrew people borrowed from other ancient stories, and the, the reality is, is, just in a few verses I'm going to show you today, there's no way that can be true. Because it stands in startling contrast. The worldview Genesis gives us stands in startling contrast to any other story. Let's start with Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God. This is where the, 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 the split in the road happens. Because Moses, as he writes out what was done through oral tradition up to that point, but writes it out through the inspiration of God for all of God's people for history. He wanted people to remember the story. That in the beginning, God. And now we get distracted. I just want you know, I understand. We get distracted by the, by the creation story because Moses didn't give us the scientific sequence of elements of how God created. And that was never Moses' plan. <laughs> that was never even his goal or desire. He simply wanted people to understand from the origin of their faith and their history and their story that in the beginning, they have always only believed in one God. That in the beginning, God was there. And that God created. You go on. God created the heavens and the earth. All right? That God did this. Now, if you go on to read how he did it, you know, we struggle again with the scientific aspect of that, but, you know... I can just say a few things about that. Like, it wouldn't be until 1926 that a Belgian scientist would even suggest that what we already knew, what we already read in Genesis was possible, was probable. Most everyone in the ancient world, even all the way up to Einstein, believed that the universe always existed, that it just always was. And yet what we read in the origin story, what we read and understand now from even some scientists that want to help, help understand that there is a possibility that the universe might have had a beginning. And he suggested this. We know it as the Big Bang. That's not until the 60s that that sort of becomes sort of a much more popular idea. But we know it as the Big Bang in terms of, in terms of the idea that in a trillion trillionth, everybody with me, that in a trillion trillionth of a second, the universe went from something, went from, from what they believe, a microscopic whatever, that went from nothing to, the, to a rapid expanse, the astronomical universe that we have. If they believe that is an accident. They, I mean, again, the Big Bang Theory is all driven by, well, there wasn't any purpose to that. There was no creator for that. And yet we look at it and go, okay, well, science, science has already kind of walked towards the fact that there is something that we believe is true. God spoke and something happened, call it a big bang or not, that God created the heavens and the earth. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't an afterthought, right? It wasn't something that, that, that just sort of, uh, I mean, there's some other stories that I'll get into, but <laughs> for other ancient stories, most of the creation happened as a, as a mere coincidence or for another purpose in terms of who is going to inhabit the earth. Matter of fact, if you skip down to verse 26, this is the next part again that's so startling. There's just a huge contrast between the origins of our faith and the origins of every other creation story is that God said, let us make human beings in our image. Let us make mankind in our image. In the midst of all of creation, 
God sort of talks about in terms of this the way this is written in our origins, that, that man, man was created as the climax of the story, as the pinnacle of creation. What, it wasn't an afterthought. And what you're going to see in terms of other stories is that in every other ancient, every other creation story, they view mankind as sort of an afterthought, right? An accident, or, or just servants or slaves to the, again, polytheistic, to the pantheon of gods. One great example of this is the, uh, the Babylonian, uh, you'll see it in the Babylonian in terms of context, uh, but their story was done through the pantheon of gods was headed up by Marduk, so very similar to Zeus and the Greek and Ramses and the Egyptian, you know. So Marduk, has, you know, is, the, is sort of the star, if you will, of the pantheon of gods in the Babylonian story. And the Enuma Elish is a really well-documented uh, part of their history in terms of the Babylonian uh, empire. Um, a part of their history is that Marduk, and the, 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 I can't go to all of it, but basically Marduk defeats a goddess in battle and cuts her in two, and no kidding, he makes the heavens out of the top half and makes the earth out of the bottom half because he won a victory, because of the chaos of battle. That's what he chose to do. And then much later on, like in the seventh volume or whatever the case is, he sort of makes mankind, but he makes mankind because, you know, the gods are just burdened by, by things to do. And so they make mankind as a slave, as a servant to the gods. And you're going to find this commonality in all of the ancient stories that deal with the polytheistic view of God's creating. But not in Genesis. Not only does Moses highlight that it's one God and that one God created the heavens and the earth, he created mankind as the pinnacle, as the highlight, as the climax of the story of what it was going to, and the purpose, okay, let's go on to read the purpose, the purpose by which he created man. He says, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and of the livestock of all the wild animals and of all the creatures that move along the ground. Like mankind was not made, not created to serve the gods, to, to be a slave to the gods. And the origin story that, again, the Christ, new early Christians are looking at it and they're finding all this commonality with what Jesus said about God the Father is that when he created mankind, he created them as the pinnacle, as, the, as, the, as just in, in his image, to be image bearers in the likeness of God. Not to worship or serve creation. Everybody with me? Listen, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of sometimes we look at the Old Testament and you think sometimes when you read stories that God dealt very harshly and, and, and kind of, you know, hard to see how he dealt with the Hebrew people. Whenever they would sort of take on sort of the, the paganistic nations around them, they would take on their gods and they would take, sort of accept their idols. And if you go and read those, the idols were always things in creation. They worshiped the earth, they worshiped the sea, they worshiped the sky, they worshiped animals, they worshiped certain animals for certain things. And God's, you know, listen, God dealt with them very harsh on that. Why? Well, not only because, you know, he said, no other gods before me, meaning that from the origin, I created man to be, to be beneath me only. There is no one else above 
man except for God, meaning that you were never created to, to sort of worship Mother Earth. You were never created to worship the sky or the stars because God created them as he created you. And you, you were the pinnacle of God's creation to rule over, to have dominion over creation and to worship only the creator. And then you see it again, just again, startling contrast to all other stories, all other origins. He repeats it again. God created mankind in his, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And the rest of the world is going to continue to screw this up. And the rest of the world and every culture and, 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 and is going to continue to have to catch up to what God created, which was, was, the, was the equality of the image bearers he created. Yes, different in form and function, but always equal in value and dignity in male and female. He created them. Not like anything else you'll ever read. So here the early Christians are. And they're looking at Jesus as, again, the event and the person. And they're looking at what Jesus said. And they're looking to how Jesus talked about creation. And they're looking about how Jesus talked about the Old Testament. And, 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 and they seem to see all these similarities. And, and then they go back to, and they start studying, not the Jewish religion, but they go back to the origins, the ancient origins and unique origins that seem to line up with everything that Jesus said. And everything that Paul was encouraging the church to see and experience that the Jewish people had already written, had already believed in the words of God, that there was a God who was before time, who created all things, who created man and woman to be his, to be his image bearers. In value and dignity, he created them, not to worship and serve the pantheon of gods or, or any other reason, but to live and enjoy God to walk with him. And again, we talked about the fall and everything else, but that's, that's a huge difference in terms of worldview. And that's one of the reasons that the, that the New Testament Christians sort of said, we need to continue. This is our story. Okay? Not only was this Jesus' story, but this is our story. Now, again, going back, this is the second reason because the backstory of Jesus, right, the backstory and the prophecy was important because when they started studying the Jewish scriptures, they found Jesus in everything. <laughs> they kept discovering Jesus in all the Jewish scriptures. And that's one of the reasons they didn't want to have anything to do with the Jewish religion, because they would look at the Jewish scholars and they would say, look, how did you miss him? How in the world did you miss him? As they continue to look back through the lens of Jesus at the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. And so brief timeline, I won't spend too much time on it, but the timeline that we see in terms of the Old Testament is creation. You see the calling out of Abraham in terms of God's people creating his nation. After that, you see a lot of things happen, but you see Moses in the Sinai Covenant as he, God delivers his people out of slavery, and Moses is a part of that. And then God speaks through Moses, not to just give the Ten Commandments, that the Sinai Covenant is all of the Levitical law. It's all the ways in which he said, here's how you want to live as a free nation. You are a slave people. I want to give you everything you need to be a free and, and, and thriving nation. And they did that for a while. 
back and forth. And then they finally said, no, 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 we want kings. Everybody else has a king. So God said, okay, I'll give you kings. And shortly after this time frame of kings, they also built the temple because David said, I want to build you a temple. And God says, you don't need a temple. And, and he says, but I want to build you a temple. And he says, okay, the temple's got to look different than any other temple. And David can't build it, but he gets all the stuff together and Solomon builds it. This is all during the time of kings. And from the kings on, you also see the installment of prophets. So prophets were the office of prophet, were people that would receive God's word. They would receive from God and they would go tell the kings and tell the people what God was saying. And you see the rise of the, 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 of the um, Israelite uh, nation. You see the, the strength of it. You see the failure of it. You see the fracturing of it. You see the breaking apart of it. And eventually you get to the exile where God's people are, are completely overtaken and destroyed. And then eventually you see them restored. And then shortly after that, we come to sort of what would be considered the end. And it's not the end of the story, it was just the end of what they had documented because in terms of the prophets, there were no more prophets at a certain point. And they felt like God went silent. And all they did was wait. What were they waiting on? <laughs> they were waiting on what all of their prophets said. See, the prophets would get words from God and he would explain things to the people of what was happening in the moment. But every once in a while, the prophet would lift up his eyes to something that transcended the current time and the current culture and the current Jewish religion. And they would speak about something that God had planned. A beautiful picture of this is Isaiah 53. I just want to read a few verses of Isaiah 53. And I'll jump around a little bit, but you may know these verses, these words. He, this is Isaiah speaking to the people, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turn our backs on him and look the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Keep going. He was pierced for our transgressions. He would crush for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, this didn't even match their current culture because they would place their sin, they would place their guilt on an animal and kill the animal. And here's the Isaiah, the prophet, talking about, wait, 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 you're going to put the iniquity on him. And by his wounds, we're going to be saved. Keep going. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in the midstream, but that he was struck down for the rebellion of my people, that there was a purpose to this. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal, and he was put in a rich man's grave. And after he had suffered, he will see the light of life. To be satisfied by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Guys, I'm just telling you, this is what they were finding. The New Testament Christians were, were like looking in there and going, and they're just going, how did you miss him? How did you not see Jesus? And as they looked back through the lens of the, the landscape of the epic historical story, of God's people. They kept finding God and finding Jesus and the plan and the work of redemption and deliverance and, and restoration of God's people. The backstory and the prophecy became so important to them. They're like, this is our story. 
This is Jesus' story, and because it's Jesus' story, it's now. Gentiles were saying this. It's not, it didn't have anything to do with blood. It didn't have anything to do with whether you were circumcised. This is our story, too, because we belong to Jesus. We worship God. The third, and I'll end, us, I'll end our time with this one. Third reason why Jewish scripture, why, why would they do this? Is because they really, they really did see one God. Not just from the origins of what they read in the Jewish scripture, but from what Jesus would say and how Paul would describe things to the church. They saw one story. One beautifully crafted masterpiece. Now last week, I know I talked a little bit about this last week again. Hopefully you've got the context of, of what we talked about. But I talked about Paul and his resurrection testimony and his, just his eyewitness account of everything that happened. But one of the things that Paul, in terms of his impact to the, to the church, was not just because he planted, it, planted them and wrote some of the, the letters and Scripture and, and authenticated the most important event. That's what we talked about last week. He clarifies the relationship between the parts of it in terms of the Bible. For Paul, I don't know if he knew he was doing this. I believe this was Holy Spirit inspired, but he kept coming back and helping God's people, reminding God's people of the relationship between the Jewish scriptures, the law and the prophets, and the work of Jesus into the application of the church, into what needs to happen in the church. He would clarify it. He would help them understand it. I want to share this. This is one of my favorite ways in which he does this, just sort of condensely together in Galatians 4. This is to the church in Galatia. He's explaining the purpose of the law and the prophets. He's explaining by an illustration how things worked together. And he says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Paul's giving the example, like, think about a king. Think about a really rich heir whose father dies or whose father can't, you know, do whatever. Like, think about that heir. That heir, even though they own everything, is actually kind of like a slave. And he goes on to say the heir is subject to gardens and trustees until the time set by his father. He said, he said think about that. The heir has to sort of follow the rules and, and, and he's accountable to the guidance and the, and the guardians and the trustees until there's a set time by the father. And so he says, so also we, when we, he's talking now to the people of God, he says, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the basic spiritual principles of this world. And that goes back to chapter 3, where he's talking about the law, and he's talking about the law written on human hearts, and he's talking about the, 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 the law and the prophets and God's system. He's like, just like we were, we were under, sort of slave to that contract, and we were sort of under the law. And then he says, but when the set time had fully come, when the Father set time had fully come, he says this again in Romans to the church in Rome, when, it, when everything was in place that God wanted in place, God sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. 
Here, here's Paul taking the relationship between the, the, what we would call the Old Testament and the New Testament and what Jesus had to say and the relationship Jesus had in sort of the middle of this, sort of how this all works. And he says, you know, there's a beautiful illustration of this, but don't miss out the fact that when, when God was ready, when the time had come, he sends Jesus, the deliverer, the redeemer, the savior, to do the work under the law so he can free those to no longer be under the law and to set back up the system that God always wanted, which was this relationship, not between a contract, between a nation and a God, but this relationship that he wanted with sons and daughters to their heavenly father. But there is value in both of these things. So going back again to last week, as we talk about the, the story of the Bible, it's not until 388, okay? 388 AD, that should be AD, my bad, it's BC, not AD, it's AD. 388, that we get the Tabiblia, okay? That we get the Tabiblia, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's the time in which, right after the Codex, the Codex was the first time it ever happened. And they, and they had already, the, the, the New Testament Christians, the first, second, and third century Christians had already said, and they didn't make the Jewish people happy at all, but they said, forget it. It's not just Jewish scripture. It's not just your epic history. It's ours. It's the story of God. It's the story of God through Jesus. And, and it in fact impacts our lives. And so they took the Old Testament and they took the New Testament, the Old Covenant and New Covenant is what it was called. And then again, eventually we'd get the Latin, which is the Holy Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. And guys, seriously, the, I know this was more of a teaching series for you, and I, I understand it to a certain degree, like maybe this is a reminder for you for things you already knew. Maybe you are learning something new, and learning something new is not always pleasant. You, maybe you've struggled with, with parts, one if not parts of this, in terms of the Old Testament or the New Testament. You struggled with, with not really understanding the strength of the foundation of your faith. I want us to not only be enamored and in love with and understand better the stories that are in the Bible. I want us to understand and be fascinated and be really struck in awe of the story of the Bible. How we got what we, how we got this precious gift that we got, and understand. I think I said this last week again. Just, I, I was I was raised same way many of you were. I was given my Bible and I was told it's true and it's right and it's inerrant and 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 it's the holy word of God and it speaks words into life. And I believed that before I read it. Everybody with me? If you're you're there, I believed it before I even read it. But over time. As I've continued to study and as I've continued to learn and as I've continued to, to allow God to grow my faith, the story of how we got this precious gift of his word, how it has endured through centuries for me to be able to have it in multiple copies and the freedom of having it and on my phone and devices to read anytime I want, to dive into his word, is a beautiful gift. 
And my challenge in this series is not so much that you would understand it better, but that by understanding it better, you would be drawn to it. You would be drawn to it. You would, you would start to look at the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, as what they actually are and why they matter to us in terms of the holy word of God. Why the New Testament scriptures, what they told us and how we approach them matter to us. And then when you go to read something, you're not just reading a section and a verse and a chapter as we've kind of categorized and allegorized the whole book. You're not just reading a little segment to take out of context anytime you want to or somebody else wants to, to sort of either make an argument for Christianity or against it, but that you have the fuller, bigger picture of the extraordinary holy word of God that you would be drawn to read it every day. You would know how you got it and why you got it and why it's so vital and important to our faith. I'll end with the same slide I ended with last week just to keep that constantly in our mind. As a matter of fact, I'm going to have you read it out loud at home right now, wherever you are. I'm going to have you read it, okay? Christianity is the result of an event that created a movement that produced texts that were collected, protected, and bound into a book. Just read it one more time, just to get it, get it locked in there. Our faith, Christianity, is the result of an event that created the movement, the ecclesia, that produced texts, the Bible, that were collected, protected, and bound into a book. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your gift of the Holy Word of God. It, it, still, God, just I can't sometimes fathom how the history and how the, the depth of the, of the richness of what the scribes and scholars did for centuries to protect and to keep and to hold on to your Word so that I could have it today. And that my foundation of my faith is not, is not what the Bible tells me it is, but I understand the richer, bigger part of the story so that I can let your word be used in me, do a work in me. And that's my prayer today for every single person watching, that you would use your word as a work in their lives. That they would understand not only how we got it and how we received this gift better, but that they would be drawn to it and drawn to read it and drawn to just sit in it and to understand it better. God, that you again could use it to equip us for the work that you'd have for us to do. And that's my prayer. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. And I know that this is getting a little bit, uh, for, for you or for me, this is getting a little bit to be a little bit more of the normal of meeting like this and hanging out like this. I know that there's a lot of things going on among our states uh, that continue to work through. What, is thing, what do things look like to get back into the swing of things? Let me just go ahead and tell you, as a church, we are continuing to work forward in how things will look when we get to open back up and, and, and receive people into the building. I want you to know it will look different. I want you to know it's going to look different no matter what. 
We're going to continue to do what we're doing, uh, we've always been doing in terms of live streaming, so that no matter whether you want to, to come or not come, and depending on how things are with you and your family, the decisions that you need to make for your health, um, you'll still be able to engage with us no matter what decisions we make. We're promising you to continue to walk these parallel paths as long as we need to, and, and, and really to make, make the best of all of the things that we're doing as a church, but we'll continue to keep you um, throughout the week up to date with what those dates look like, with what time looks like in terms of the next month or so, um, how things will start slowly and maybe begin to build from there. Um, we hope that you'll be patient with us. I know that it's very hard sometimes to be patient when everything else is going on around you and you just don't have any control. I'm just asking you to be patient and trust. Trust that the leadership of our church is praying through, asking God when we need to do that, when we need to take certain steps, and we long to get together with you again in this way and continue to serve you in the way that we're serving you now, okay? And uh, don't forget, we are starting a new series next week. I want you to be a part of that again. It's called Transform, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how God wants to use, again, His Word and the challenge of His Word to continue to change us, to see us be transformed in our lives, okay? Don't forget to stick around for me and Tracy afterwards. I love you guys. Have an amazing rest of your Sunday.